Hello and welcome to HIMSCAST. Today we are going to talk about the new rules that just dropped from ONC. They just came out yesterday. Our team has been digesting them, talking with experts, writing stories. This is a big enough story and a nuanced enough story that we've already put together three different pieces on our three brands, Moby Health News, Healthcare IT News, and Healthcare Finance News. And I've got editors from each of those brands here today to talk a little bit more about the rules in the podcast format. From Healthcare IT News, I have editor Mike Milliard. Hi, Mike. Hello. From Healthcare Finance News, we have senior editor Susan Morse. Hi, Sue. Hi, Jonah. And from Moby Health News, I have associate editor Dave Moyo. Hi, Dave. Hello, Jonah. Uh, let's, let's lay the groundwork a little bit. Uh, people are talking about the rules here. There's, there's two rules total, is that right? Yeah, there's a rule from ONC and there's a rule from CMS and each have different provisions. The CMS rule is, is mainly focused on payers, while ONC is focused on healthcare providers, uh, certified health IT developers, and health information exchanges and health information networks. And I know the ONC rule is around 1,200 pages long, and is the CMS rule comparable? I confess I have not delved into the CMS rule. Sue, have you? Is that was your finding? Was it an easy um, bedtime read? I have not delved into the CMS rule. I've been delving more into reaction right now, but uh, so I don't know how many pages it is. I took a look at the CMS rule. It seems much shorter, only about five or 600 pages or so. A breeze. Okay, great. So we're only dealing with uh, sub-2,000 uh, pages of rules here. So obviously the team hasn't had the chance to uh, read them in full, but as Sue said, we've been looking at reactions, we've been talking to folks. So I know that these rules were much anticipated. What were the big takeaways in terms of uh, what they did deliver, what they didn't deliver relative to what folks were expecting? Mike, let's start with you. Uh, I think the ONC rules largely pretty close to the um, proposed rules that came out in February 2019. Uh, There are some differences there with definitions and timelines, but most of what they said they were going to do, they're going to do. There's big implications here for how patients get their data, what hospitals and health systems are going to be responsible for for doing to enable that access, what IT developers and vendors are going to have to do to, you know, include APIs in their software to to connect. So um, most of what ONC, you know, promised, uh, you know, the patients, which or you know, the the goal of these rules is to empower patients by by giving them easy access to their data, uh, is still there in the rules. Sue, anything to add from your perspective? Both Mike and I spoke with Tom Leary and Jeff Coughlin yesterday from Hims with Government Relations, and from what Tom said. Um, Providers and payers were were hoping that that they wouldn't move forward so soon with the uh, what's needed for participation of certi- certification, which means that the uh, provider and payer communities have to abide by this with this with these apps in order to uh, uh, accept Medicare Medicaid payment, which uh, he said that you know there's anxiety from the provider and hospital community. And they'll be seen as information blockers if they don't share the app uh, that's required with every patient. And um, both payers and, and providers are very concerned with that. 
Dave, I know that for the Moby angle, you wrote about the CMS rule and these these API requirements, um, the app piece. I think that's what's getting a lot of the coverage in the mainstream media. Can you lay that out for us a little bit? Sure. From the mainstream media perspective, I think that might be a recurring theme of this podcast, but there's a lot of we're going to have to give it a couple days for people to digest, really dig in. There's a lot of... Um, I would say that the mainstream is fairly pro these rules and the fact that they at least intend to empower the patient to some extent. And a lot of the voices that are getting out there are speaking to um, patient advocates and professional organizations from that perspective. And of course, a lot of the professional organizations are keeping it thin and saying, we're going to give you our final thoughts in a couple of days. And I haven't seen any of the, for instance, the big tech companies who were previously in favor of the draft rules or some of the startups that might have been in favor of those draft rules. I haven't really seen any of them get out there with any particular stance yet, but in terms of preemptive and at a top level, if we're just talking about the goals of what this these rulings are trying to accomplish, people are excited for the opportunities. I will say... Healthcare IT News is going to be posting a, a reaction piece a bit later uh, today, on, on Tuesday. Um, uh, but I think one of the takeaways is that there are still some pretty big privacy concerns from a lot of um, organizations out there. Uh, you know, Medical Group Management Association and uh, AHIP, the insurance, the, you know, insurance group, all you know say they have some pretty big concerns about what will happen to patients' data when it is shared with third-party apps. Um, I think they wish there was a bit more language in the rules to safeguard some of the privacy implications of um, of you know those apps as as data is shared with them. Um, so I think that's one thing that we're going to have to watch going forward um, is some concerns about privacy. Yeah, that's a great point, Mike. I know people have been sort of clamoring for an update to HIPAA that um, or or you know some kind of guidance on how to continue to, to maintain a, the right standard of patient privacy, especially as more health data transfer moves to these apps and to these APIs. So are they giving us anything in these rules to sort of save those fears? Not with regard to HIPAA per se. I mean, and again, I, I'm most familiar with the ONC rules and you know, HIPAA is, is not their purview. That's more of a larger HHS function. Um, ONC has some protections in I mean, they adopt, they, they mandate, you know, FHIR version 4, which as, as one means of, you know, of, of sharing as, as the API. And so that is uh, one way they say that privacy will be protected. But um, largely, I think, you know, HIPAA, the larger question of HIPAA is going to have to play out in, in a larger arena, I think, because it's, it's a law that was, you know, from 1996 and not, you know, not well established for today's data sharing realities. Sue, you had something that you wanted to add. Go ahead. Yeah, I was um, uh, agreeing with Mike on what he said about uh, AHIP's concerns. Also, the American Hospital Association is concerned about this data sharing with third-party app developers who don't have the same privacy and security requirements as hospitals and payers. So they're not under the same uh, stringent requirements, and they're afraid what's going to happen to this information and that patients won't know what's going to happen to their information. Now, have we seen that concern at all from patients themselves? Uh, how are sort of patient advocates that, that we track and we follow responding to this news? 
I have not. I haven't seen um, anything from patients themselves or patient organizations. Generally, I think the, the mood among patient advocates is, is very positive for these rules. You know, um, they just, they see them as a, as a major step forward away from kind of paternalistic, you know, uh, a paternalistic system where, you know, hospitals and health systems and vendors kind of, you know, maintain ownership rights, for lack of a better term, to, to their own health data. So, and I think, you know, the administration, um, you know, HHS, ONC and CMS all, you know, have, have made a big point of, of making the case that this is the best thing for the patient. So I think most patient groups are, are fans of, of at least the, the ideas behind these rules. Yeah, I actually just pulled up um, the Society for Participatory Medicine statement on, again, the draft guidance. So there might be some changes with the fine notes of the rulings, but um, the phrase you just used, Mike, paternalistic, that's exactly the language they include in their statement. And here's a quote that I just pulled out that seems relevant. Quote, we support advancing privacy protections to help keep patient data safe, but this should not come at the expense of sharing the information with our doctors or getting a copy of our own information. So it seems like what they're honing in on is, yes, privacy is important, but that sort of enablement and being able to handle your own personal care is such a priority for a lot of these, for at least this patient advocacy group that they're willing to take the risk or at least start diving into this direction. You know, as far as getting information, how many people use their patient portals? Uh, more people are on their phones using apps, and this will definitely hit people where they live. Yeah, Dave, if I might put you on the spot here, how much do you think that the direction of these rules was influenced by what was already happening, uh, especially with Apple Health Records and and the, the tech companies sort of taking the initiative to show off that the infrastructure is here and this is possible? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of these larger tech companies came out in favor of the proposed rules and actually called for them to be established immediately back in, I think it was early February or late January or one or the other. But we have seen instances where Apple Health Records is being rolled out to uh, more than dozens, uh, very many, several health organizations who are adopting it. Um, we're seeing it go into practice in the VA. Uh, but maybe drawing back to a point that we were discussing earlier, the concerns about third-party data vendors and data privacy security, this also applies to the larger tech companies. We're seeing Every week there's a new update of some kind with the Google Essentia story. Um, that's a not exactly one-to-one -one of the type of information we're talking about sharing, but it's similar to this is sensitive data that's being passed around tech companies and the patients, it's de-identified data, but the patients certainly didn't know exactly what was going on in the moment. So I wonder, if, I have to wonder if a lot of the concerns among the professional organizations about the third-party handling comes from some of those high-profile stories of high-profile companies uh, bumping into some little bit of trouble in that area. It seems to me, I know when the health record story broke last year, a lot of the conversations the industry was having, conversations we were having around the office were about how many times this had been tried and failed. You know, Google Health, uh, all the different sort of efforts to, to create a personal health record uh, on the phone that would integrate with the electronic health record. There was a real sense that now that Apple was tackling it and they had the right infrastructure and the timing was right, you know, we would really finally start to see smartphone-based personal health records as a sort of lively, vital, integrated component of the electronic health record. And 
it seems to me that now that there's a policy piece that's really encouraging and committed to enabling this, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's too much to say that that might be the last barrier that needed to fall before we could really start to see uh, mobile integrated uh, personal health records connected to our electronic health records. What do you guys think? Am I being too optimistic? Yes. <laughs> I think so, Jonah. I'm, um, I, I know two years ago, Seema Verma called on uh, everybody to throw away their fax machines. Well, I recently uh, needed a referral, and I had to wait for it to be faxed over. And I said, you still do this by fax? And they said, oh, yes. So, you know, two years ago, that came out, and, and it's just, uh, it really hasn't happened yet. And I think this will take a while, but they're under this mandate that they have to do this, uh, you know, to get the, the, the Medicare and Medicaid payments. So uh, I, I think they are, the, the community is nervous about, about having to do this. Uh, I was just going to say, I was at, you know, my uh, doctor a few months ago, and they needed to get uh, some information from another outpatient um, physician I'd seen. And they're on the same EHR vendor, both offices, but they couldn't get it from each other, so they had to fax it over. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it, this is a problem that's not going away yet. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of dust to settle after these rules drop, and there's probably going to be some loud complaining. Um, in the short term, there's no enforcement for uh, six months from when the rules are actually published in the Federal Register. So we, we got about a six-month grace period for folks to kind of, you know, get the lay of the land and, and see what's up. And then they're going to kind of phase it in over the next couple of years, uh, with the ONC rules at least. Um, so I think there will be some training wheels going forward, um, but clearly there's some big changes that health systems and, and vendors and um, HIEs are going to have to get used to. Let's talk about Epic and Judy Faulkner. Um, in the lead up to these rules being published, there was some very public, uh, dare I say, more more uh, more glaring resistance than we're even accustomed to here from the EHR companies led by Epic. Um, there was a, a public letter, and now the rules are out, and it feels like it's exactly what they didn't want, exactly what they were fearing here. Um, how do we think that's going to shape out going forward? I don't know. I mean, Epic had said during that kind of campaign against these rules that they would even consider suing HHS if the, if the rules kind of had some stuff they didn't like. So we'll see. Uh, what they say uh, going forward, um, yeah, they put kind of pulled out all the stops. They had you know op eds, and they were you know sending letters to hospitals and health systems asking them to kind of oppose them. I think one interesting thing is that Epic's main rival Cerner has kind of come out in favor of these rules and positioned themselves as as fans of them. So um, you know whether that's just competitive jockeying or, or not, I'm not sure, but um, uh, we'll see. Yeah, it does feel like there's sort of an optics drama playing out uh, behind the scenes where we know that some of our readers in, in the provider sphere are not the biggest fans of Epic on a good day and they you know, maybe sometimes view them as the mustache-twirling villains. Um, so the, there's a very clear narrative when they come out against something that is you know, purportedly patient-empowering, that is meant to improve data-sharing. They sort of have to be careful that their that their optics aren't um, aren't making them look bad. <laughs> do you? I mean, do you guys think Epic has a point? Do you think that their um, that their opposition is is grounded in in real reasonable concerns 
for the industry and not just for their own bottom line? I do think they care about patient privacy, obviously, as any you know responsible vendor should. Um, I wonder if perhaps they're a bit, you know, they see this as opening the door to other competitors who traditionally haven't been in the space um, to kind of perhaps chip away at some of their long-held, you know, hegemony over the market. But I, I certainly do think, you know, the, the concerns they raise about patient privacy, as we discussed earlier, are not, you know, out of nowhere. And they are, I mean, there is some validity to them. Yeah, I mean, in the ongoing sort of tightrope of moving innovation fast enough uh, but not creating risk, um, the Trump administration, I think, has shown a tendency to err on the side of uh, too fast innovation, too much risk. I mean, I think that's certainly what they've been criticized for around the changes that have happened at the FDA since um, since this administration came in. So... I suppose I can I can certainly see that argument. Yeah, but I mean, big picture, I would certainly say that it seems to me that Epic might find itself on the wrong side of, of, of history, given the reaction that I've seen from across the industry. Most folks seem to fall into the camp, you know, without getting too into the details of the rules themselves, you know, the, the goals behind these, you know, giving patients easier access to their health data is, is pretty widely supported by most. So let's say that I'm a primary care physician uh, at a mid-sized rural health system. What do these rules mean for me? Once these deadlines start to hit and hospitals start to make changes, when will I start to see this affect my life and and how? Well, uh, the way the timeline looks for for the ONC rules at least, um, so as I mentioned, six months from now is when the compliance starts for the information blocking rules from that six month mark for the next 24 months uh, hospitals and health systems will have to comply with uh, what's called the US core data for interoperability or USCDI which is kind of a standard set you know developed by ONC of, of certain you know necessary health data classes and elements that they must be able and, and willing to share with patients and after that 24 months is up, then basically hospitals and health systems will have to share with, again, there, is, there are eight exceptions in the rules and we could get you know, deep into the, the weeds of you know, what those are and, and what they mean, but hospitals and health systems have to be ready to share basically you know, whatever data a patient asks you know, under their HIPAA right of access uh, with that patient you know, with a minimum of effort via API. So that's a pretty big change, right? Before the path that people had to request that data had to do with filling out a form, getting either paper data or something sent to their portal. Or Help me kind of uh, roll out the contrast here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before yeah, they were su- yeah. they were supposed to be able to get their data, but getting it was uh, a big thing for patients. I mean, it wasn't easy to get, really. Like like Mike, I think, just suggested, they were still getting them on CD-ROMs or, or in, in another way. Now they're just supposed to have easy access to their phone. It's supposed to go with them, so if they transfer outside that, you know, network, they have it. Um, and I, I think uh, some organizations are happy because it's promoting better population health because of it. Uh, 
The National Association of ACOs has come out in favor of the rules for this mat, uh, this reason. They they want to see, you know, obviously, this is another move to value-based care. I do think it's also worth noting that some of the uh, API work in the CMS rules isn't just for patient data sharing. It also specifies a provider directory API, which, much like the uh, patient access API, allows for a third party to easily access uh, provider directory information that's publicly available. And I think a lot of the been here, going back to what does this mean for a physician practicing, is that there might be a slightly easier way to look up provider services for uh, coordination of care purposes. So it's not just um, looking over patient data or from the patient's perspective, being able to have access to their data. There are some uh, policies outlined within these rules that are just looking to simplify efficient and uh, low burden coordination of care and understanding the services that are out there using third party tools. I wonder if, again, to be seen, but I wonder if those types of things will come up in a daily practice for a physician, these types of uh, new access to capabilities. I should mention one aspect of the ONC rules which hasn't been discussed is there's some patient safety and usability um, angles there um, in that the ONC rules allow now for hospitals and health systems to take screenshots and even in some cases uh, video of uh, aspects of their EHRs or IT systems that aren't working or you know potentially pose risk to patient safety or you know or have you know suboptimal usability um, to kind of help report some of those um, you know, less than ideal aspects of their of their IT systems, um, while still protecting intellectual property of, of the IT systems themselves. So, um, there's that's one um, aspect for hospitals uh, to, to keep in mind um, with these new rules. So, I think we're getting to the end on this, um, but I wanted to ask Dave from a Moby perspective, uh, what are the opportunities created by this? Do you think we're going to see uh, more? sort of new startups or new products from existing startups uh, trying to be the vehicle here for, for these to turn these APIs into successful patient-facing apps? Well, I think the hope is that a lot of the startups, um, third-party app developers, for instance, a lot of these startups will be able to bring these sort of APIs into their existing business models. Part of the benefit of having this laid out in a policy is that there is one standard. This is the same, um, one of the benefits of having all this laid out through a policy is that there is a single standard. You're not fine tuning your application to take in um, non-uniform data flows or working with uh, payer provider systems that are different from the one that's down the street just because they have a different name slapped on the top of their organization. Ideally, this lowers the burden for existing healthcare apps to do their work and integrate new streams of patient data. Um, one, an emphasis on new streams of patient data, uh, they'll be getting information potentially about a patient's visit that they wouldn't have had access to. Can they bake this into their existing product in a way that amplifies what they're already offering? And maybe we'll see a bit more work in this sense in terms of integration. Maybe we'll see a startup that this is all they do. They're all in on uh, patient EHR work with the hospital and enabling that within other uh, startups or vendors' app, um, products. 
I think you can see some interesting interweaving of businesses based on who wants to specialize in this, or if you don't want to specialize in this, at least there's a lower barrier of entry. So in a minute, I'm going to ask everyone about their their final thoughts on this or anything we haven't talked about yet that you want to that you want to discuss. Uh, but while I while I give you guys a minute to think about that, I want to let everyone know that we are thinking of doing a Hymnscast Q and A edition here in the next couple of weeks. I know there's been a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the news between these ONC rules and the coronavirus and the 2020 election. So if you have any questions for the Hymns Media staff on any of these topics, um, interested in our analysis or perspective, or just uh, getting the facts right on something that might be out there that you are having a hard time locking down, um, go ahead and tweet those at Jonah Comstock, um, and I will collect those for a future episode, and there'll be another tweet from me about that around the same time this goes up. If you didn't know, you can subscribe to Hymnscast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. So check us out, like, subscribe, leave a rating, um, tell your friends. We're a new podcast, and we're uh, really trying to get the word out. Uh, let's just go around. We'll do Mike, and then Dave, and then we'll let Sue have the last word here. Um what are the big takeaways here? What do people need to know? What do you think is really interesting? Go ahead, Mike. Well, I mean, just as we said, I think you know these rules on the whole are very good for patients. They provide access in, in new ways. They uh, have some privacy protections, but I think you know some of that stuff is going to have to be ironed out, you know, going forward with you know third-party developers and such. I you know it, it opens up their ability to, to shop around and, and gain access to data that might have been much more labor intensive uh, in years past. Hopefully, going forward, it's going to be a lot easier. But it's definitely going to require some big changes and some investments um, from hospitals, from health systems, from um, HIEs and, and health information networks um, to you know comply with uh, was was what are some of some, some pretty stringent rules about how they're going to make this data available uh, and vendors and uh, certified IT developers are going to have to make some changes as well. So uh, I talked to somebody a year ago who said that these rules are going to basically shape the way healthcare goes forward for the next decade or so. And from, you know, having had a day to kind of read them and digest them, you know, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think they're pretty significant rules that are going to have uh, some pretty widespread implications for all major stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem. Thank you, Mike. Dave, your thoughts? Uh, I can't say I have as grandiose a statement as what Mike just shared with us, but um, a lot of the same of looking at what the largest tech vendors and the startups are going to do with this, and I think it'll be really interesting to see, one, what types of products that they build with these new tools and regulations, and specifically in the APIs, and two, which of these products that the providers, the payers, etc., all store sort of gravitate to whose implementation of this unified standard are going to be the ones that people latch onto and how does that begin to affect day-to-day care. And Sue, what do you have for us? Well, the, the biggest thing I'm hearing from insurers and the, the American Hospital Association is, is this concern about the information being transferred outside the protection of, of HIPAA, that they've been so careful in in their privacy and keep in keeping this information pr- 
private and of course EHRs is sharing the information now they're going one step further they're saying this is going to to third-party developers for apps and AHIP went so far as to say as the information can be bought and sold on the open market uh, so the biggest is the privacy concerns and that patients will be unaware of how their information will be used and though the insurers and hospitals aren't saying this who's going to be held accountable when this information does get out there or if it does get out there in ways unforeseen right now will it be the hospital will it be the insurers what's who is liable for this privacy protection of information thank you sue and also thank you mike and dave this has been a great discussion but it sounds like we're really just at the beginning of what these rules are going to mean for health IT. So stay tuned to our info brands, our publications, Healthcare IT News, Healthcare Finance News, and Moby Health News. And stay tuned to this podcast, and we'll keep you updated on these developments. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.